America is a nation of immigrants. Most of us, except for those who descend from indigenous and native peoples, arrived from beyond the borders of the American continent within the last 400 years. The following poem entitled The New Colossus by Emma Lazarus is inscribed on the Statue of Liberty and paints a portrait of America as a beacon of hope for refugees and immigrants from all over the globe. Here at our sea-washed sunset gates shall stand a mighty woman with a torch, whose flame is the imprisoned lightning, and her name, Mother of Exiles. From her beacon hand glows worldwide welcome. Her mild eyes command the air-bridged harbor the twin cities frame. Keep, ancient lands, your storied pomp, cries she with silent lips. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these the homeless tempest tossed to me. We often like to think of our nation as welcoming to immigrants, but have we really lived up to this ideal? In this podcast, we will examine the complex history of immigration in the United States. We will look at the ways that the narrative surrounding immigration has been and continues to be shaped by the ideologies of racism and the rhetoric of fear deeply embedded in our national consciousness. Since the beginnings of our nation, those in power have orchestrated who is and is not allowed to be a part of the American experiment. The demographics of immigration were profoundly influenced by policies driven by institutionalized racism that favored white European migrants over all other ethnic groups. In 1617, the first Africans were enslaved and forcibly trafficked to the shores of Virginia. By 1776, Thomas Paine wrote in Common Sense, This new world hath been the asylum for the persecuted lovers of civil and religious liberty from every part of Europe. The Naturalization Act of 1790 permitted free white men of, quote, good character to become citizens. 20 million immigrants flooded to the country in 1880 from Central and Eastern Europe. At the same time, the United States established strict laws prohibiting non-Europeans from entry. We see the Chinese Exclusion Act in 1882, followed by the Immigration Act of 1924, which set up a quota system for granting visas that was heavily biased towards immigrants from Northern and Western Europe and completely excluded immigrants from countries in Asia. Throughout U.S. history, we also see persistent examples of othering in the form of anti-immigrant sentiments. Here's Dr. Pettigrew, professor of history at Masai University, to explain. There was a fear uh, around the, you know, by the you know, in the 19-teens, that immigrants, especially newer ones, were not assimilating into the population. These public attitudes of hostility towards immigrants manifested themselves in local demonstrations, but also influenced the national conversation on immigration. Studies were conducted on the lack of integration of immigrants into local communities, and these studies even went on to inform federal policies that eventually excluded immigrants from coming to the states. Local and national discrimination against immigrants and the fear of the other were often magnified through the rhetoric of leaders who rose to power throughout the history of the United States, and this continues in many ways today. 
This has a significant impact on policies that determine who is free to make their home here and become a part of the American experience. However, many activists today are working to change the narrative around immigration, fighting for just and equitable reforms to exclusionary policies. I'll conclude with a quote from Dr. Julie Green, professor of history and director of the Center for Global Migration Studies at the University of Maryland College Park. She states, from the early 19th century to the present day, immigrants have faced xenophobia. This xenophobia kind of ebbs and flows, and it's very much intertwined with struggles for acceptance and equality by immigrants themselves. And so, it's that intertwined history that shapes every aspect of the world we live in in the United States. Welcome to part two on the podcast on immigration hosted by the Center for Public Humanities. In this section, we will examine the relationship between how issues of immigration are framed and the effect that it has on policy and the way we treat these issues. When Mexico sends its people, they're not sending their best. They're sending people that have lots of problems, and they're bringing those problems with us. They're bringing drugs, they're bringing crime, they're rapists, and some, I assume, are good people. This excerpt was taken from former President Donald Trump's campaign speech back in 2016. Through his campaign and his term, President Trump proclaimed the nativist idea that America can be made great again by focusing on itself and shutting out outsiders, that America is kept great by its native-born people. What do the nativists believe about immigrants? To the nativists, America is only kept great by preventing immigrants from, quote, shithole countries coming in. Traditionally, nativists argue that immigrants bring crime, poverty, and disease. They believe that immigrants have different religions or cultures and can never be, quote, true Americans. They believe that immigrants steal jobs or cause access to increase. President Trump leveled each of these charges against immigrants, claiming that immigrants overwhelm our schools, overcrowd our hospitals, drain our welfare system, and cause untold amounts of crime. It is important to understand that this anti-immigrant sentiment is not something strange or new. The amount of fear and bitterness has been simmering under the surface for years, as the previous section explained. It is equally important, however, to understand that people in power have a role in framing how we talk about immigrants. According to Facebook's ad archive, the Trump administration has run around 2,000 Facebook ads containing the word invasion. This narrative of an outside threat allowed him to justify his anti-immigrant rhetoric and actions. For example, President Trump targeted Mexicans and Latinos for being rapists, drug dealers and criminals, and painted all Muslims as religious extremists and terrorists. These accusations laid the foundation for his calls for a border wall and an immigration ban against traditionally Muslim countries. And let us not forget, in the light of the March 2021 shooting of Asian women in Atlanta, that President Trump has repeatedly labelled COVID-19 the Chinese virus and blamed agents for bringing it to the states. More generally, President Trump placed increasing caps on the number of green cards issued to immigrants each year, tried to strip protection for dreamers and refugees, and promised to triple the size of immigration and customs enforcement, 
which made headlines for its harsh treatment of immigrants and pictures of children locked in cages. It is clear that the words we use in the stories we tell about people matter. How we frame issues like immigration matter. The rhetoric of the illegal immigrants seeking to steal jobs and bring crime to America is harmful. It incites violence and harmful policies. What would the world look like if we heard the different side of immigration? Here is an excerpt of a poem entitled Home by Watson Shire, read by Edwidge Danticott at Messiah University's 2018 Humanities Symposium. No one leaves home unless home is the mouth of a shark. You only run to the border when you see the whole city running as well. You only leave when home won't let you stay. You have to understand that no one puts their children in a boat unless the water is safer than the land. No one burns their palms under trains, beneath carriages. No one wants to be beaten, pitied. No one chooses refugee camps or strip searches where your body is left aching or prison because prison is safer than a city of fire. And one prison guard in the night is better than a truckload of men. I want to go home, but home is the mouth of a shark. Home is the barrel of a gun. And no one would leave home unless home chased you to the shore. In a recent discussion by Sojourner, a network of Christians in the United States focused on the biblical call to social justice, Immigrant women in America argued for the need to reimagine immigration. Immigration, as they argued, is not the dry question of who deserves to be let in. It is a force for dignity and for hope. A means where people exert their right to escape injustice, to seek out new opportunities and better life, this is the foundation of the United States. If we begin to think of immigration in this way, would we criminalize it? Would it be illegal to look for another homeland? Instead of funding organizations that detain, imprison, and deport, could we fund organizations that accept and build inclusive communities? How we and the government frame immigration is important. The next section of this podcast will discuss the new administration in more detail, but let's remember that we can hold each other accountable to change the way we think and speak about people searching for a home. someone sitting in Guadalajara right now in Mexico, which is not the biggest problem right now, and saying, I got a great idea. Let's sell everything we have, give it to a coyote, give them our kids, take them across the border, leave them in a desert where they don't speak the language. Won't that be fun? That's not why people come. They come because their circumstances are so bad. And so in the meantime, what we should be doing is making sure we provide beds for these children. Glimmers of hope emerge with a new president in office. The Biden administration took strong action immediately, including some decisive immigration changes. Executive actions such as stopping all wall construction at the southern border and ending the quote Muslim travel ban point towards positive change in regard to immigration. Both of these actions are reversals of harmful immigration legislation 
simply erasing what was done, not explicit steps forward. However, nobody is convinced that the United States' racist immigration policy will be solved solely with a democratic administration. Regardless of the political party, the United States upholds the same system of oppression, despite who is in power. Yes, hope is in the air, change is coming, but we mustn't be fooled by a country that runs on white supremacy. Along with hope, there is illusion. Maria from the Movement of Immigrant Leaders in Pennsylvania describes the covert injustice that saturates the United States. And we have a, a Spanish phrase that we say, una jaula de oro sigue siendo una jaula. And if we translate it to English, a golden cage is still a cage. A cage of gold is still a cage. She lives out this deception every day, but it's time to reveal the lie. I believe this quote represents a lot of the language surrounding immigration in the United States. There are internal and external expressions of the U.S.'s gilded nature. Internally, we sustain this lie. So many Americans see the U.S. as an exemplar for the rest of the world. U.S. public education paints itself in gold. In turn, this is externally projected. For so long, the United States has projected its influence on other countries. Many people around the world believe the narrative that the United States is a center for economic opportunity and prosperity. The streets are painted with gold. This narrative is exported by the lack of accurate representative descriptions of the United States. So many are attracted to the, quote, gold that is the United States, that it is not until their feet are on the ground that immigrants realize that they are standing in a cage. The reality of the situation is that, for people of color, they, if they face extreme hurdles to merely survive here in the United States. Immigrants of color that arrive to the United States experience a low quality of life. Most directly, basic human rights such as proper education and fair housing are restricted. Complicated systems are in place to benefit the white people of America and continually disenfranchise people of color. This is white supremacy at work. Such hurdles are not only supported by the white privileged elite, but also by the government systematically restricting marginalized communities. In order to move forward, we must do two things. First, we ought to remove the gold. This is done by challenging the gilded narratives that project the United States as a beacon of opportunity and success. Secondly, we dismantle the cage. It is time to supplant oppression by uplifting marginalized voices and holding politicians accountable. This is not all to say that there is no hope. Significant change has been made and will continue to be made. However, the foundation for substantial progress can only be built once we remove the gold from the cage and recognize the limits imposed upon immigrants. I believe it is time to stop seeing the United States as made of gold. It is time to remove the gold around the injustice that goes on in this country in order to call out oppression and white supremacy. In reality, a country is only as golden as the quality of life of the people that live in it. If we do not change the language to be true and representative of the injustice that occurs with immigrants here in the United States, there will be no accountability. Every bit of change will be superficial with roots of white supremacy. The only way to truly move forward in hope and progress is to remove the illusion of gold and bring the darkness to light. In our voices and actions, we must hold all politicians accountable, no matter the political party. 
in prioritizing the voices of the marginalized, bar by bar, the United States can dismantle its prison.